Copy Room Conversations is brought to you in partnership with Dirt Path Publishing. What started as a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing work for social impact now also includes coaching and editing services for writers led by a small and mighty team of former high school teachers. These folks know how to have the hard conversations writers need to have in service to producing their very best work. And they know how to have those hard conversations with love. For more information about coaching and editing services for writers, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. When I decided to feature the mobs as guests for the first season of Copy Room Conversations, I had a feeling Stephanie and Sharon wanted to be guests together. I think they'd both characterize themselves as people who prefer to stay in the background while others take center stage. What I hope they also know is that there is no one on the center stage that could do what they do without these two. What they do in the background pays dividends untold for those of us who take the spotlight. We are who we are because they are who they are. Every trip to Yosemite, Sharon and Stephanie would find time to sit together at the dining room table. Stephanie at the end, Sharon on the corner next to her. They'd look at curriculum together, talk through instruction together, ask each other hard questions, and hold space for one another as they sought out answers. I didn't understand a thing they said about science, but I sat in awe and appreciation every single time at the way they talked about our work, our kids, and the way they supported one another. In this episode, Sharon and Stephanie talk about their early mentors and offer us a lot to think about regarding mentoring in our current moment, including the fact that even as our very best mentor selves, we cannot hold all of our new teachers alone, repeatedly, year after year. We talk about the challenges that exist now that didn't before and the toll that it's taking on all of us. We explore the truth that there is no easy answer and that every one of us has to bring our unique gifts to the table to find a way to serve our kids and each other together. Sharon and Stephanie offer us many lessons. My favorite is how to seek out someone who you respect, who does the thing that's hard for you to do. Together, you can find ways to serve our kids in ways that you never could have alone. Be it in the coffee room, the classroom, or the dining room table, these two are partners. When you listen, you'll feel that fact in your bones. Let's listen and learn, remembering that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. We're very official here. Okay, so go ahead. You were saying. Well, I was just saying that Sharon and I started as partners way back in the early 90s. Um, I think I might have been in my second year of teaching. Yeah. And I was so lucky to have that. Um, for so long with Sharon because first of all it makes your life a lot easier when you have someone to think with to talk with to plan with and um, to work with and I felt like we were a great pair in the sense that you know Sharon is the creative one I think of Sharon as the creative one she's the one who's like this project could work here we could do this we could pull this in we could do this whatever and I was more the sort of linear thinker uh, in terms of, well, how are we going to do this logistically? You know, how is that going to play? And um, just having that stability, Sharon, I don't know, like 10 years, something like that. Yeah, 10 years, 10 years. My, uh, you know, what? my lifesaver, because, um, you know, I came 
I came to meet Stephanie, I think, in the spring of my student teaching year. And, um, and Stephanie, I mean, the, the great thing about Stephanie, it, yeah, it's true, I'm the creative one and she's very the linear one, but, um, but we rubbed off on each other because I learned to kind of get a little bit more detailed oriented. Mm -hmm. I learned to ask, you know, similar kinds of questions so that I wasn't so far afield that I was just rogue. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things I, I really most appreciated was that I think the second year, Stephanie, you were struggling a little bit. And so, and she was just very open and honest about it. It wasn't like, mm. you know, um, everything is going really peachy keen. It was like, look, I'm having a hard time right now. And, you know, this is what it looks like and sounds like and feels like. And I was so glad that <laughs> someone was being really mm -hmm. real. Um, and it was just a, a nice, um, a nice pair to working with Dale, who was my mentor teacher, because, you know, this is a man who's been teaching a veteran teacher for, you know, a couple of decades, if not longer. And here's Stephanie in her second year, you know, and going through it. And I was like, here's me about to start that mm. process. And it was just, yeah, it was just refreshing. And I knew that if there were questions or feelings that I had that Dale couldn't necessarily address, I had mm -hmm. Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie was going to make sure that I got through it <laughs> and that she helped me figure it all out. So, yeah. Still in the same place to a large extent that you were as a new teacher, you know, and I, I was struggling. I was, you know, it was partly teaching. I think I was also coaching mm -hmm. track and I just, I was very overwhelmed with the demands. And I, you know, and one of the things I finally figured out about myself is, you know, I can teach the way I want. I can coach the way I want. I can have the life that I want, but I can really only handle two out of those three at things. One time. Mm -hmm. And at one time. yeah, at one time. And so unfortunately for me, coaching was the thing at the end of that year that, you know, I said, I can't do that anymore. Um, which was hard because I loved it, but I wasn't a happy camper um, on a lot of days. It just felt like it was too overwhelming. And and I think that's an issue for a lot of new teachers. Yes, because we get asked to do all the things when they're new, right? Oh, here's a club. Oh, here's a, this. Here's a, it's just so, I remember Pam said to me, I need you to say no the entire year. Do not let Cheryl Camber come for you and ask you one thing. You will say no. <laughs> and it was such a gift. Right. Did you, Stephanie, was Dale your mentor teacher too? No, I actually did my teaching at, my student teaching at Logan. And okay. Um, okay. I had a good mentor teacher. I, I interned in class there. So I taught one kind of on my own and then student taught. And he basically just let me do the class from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And But he was a total backup person. Like the day that I forgot the pond water for the lab, you know, that we needed to do. <laughs> he was right over to the creek next door getting uh -huh. the pond water. You know, he was like that kind of person, the backup guy. So it was good. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you all had, Terry Shimshock was in your department. So she, tell me about her. You talk, Terry. <laughs> okay, you know, Stephanie was like my lifesaver, you know, hands on the feet on the ground and all of that. But to me, Terry was like the angel of our department. <laughs> um, because, you know, she was like a real mother figure and I could be totally stressed out. Um, you know, that first year of teaching is really hard and she would just calm me down mm -hmm. because her classroom was right next to my classroom and then Stephanie's classroom was across from her classroom. And so, mm -hmm. um, so whatever I needed, she had for me. Um, 
sometimes she would think ahead to, you know, here's where she's going and here's the lab equipment that she's going to need or the handouts that she's going to need. And I swear there would be days when I would come in my classroom and it would all be laid out. Oh my gosh. Ready for me to go. Um, so yeah, she was kind of like the beginning, my beginning understanding of the importance of having like a school moms or mm. you know department moms to sort of take care of you and not only you but anyone else especially the newbies and so yeah. i i really appreciated all that she brought to to me personally and i think to the department as a whole she was i still remember and i think this was my first year of teaching um which again it, it was a tough start for me in a lot of ways i i had super high expectations of the kids which you know, we all should. Um, and I didn't always know how to meet them where they were. Um, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. And I remember her bringing lunch in to me one day and sitting me down and she's just like, you know, kiddo, you can't save them all. And I just, <laughs> you know, I, and for me, that was really hard to hear, but it was necessary that, and you don't, you know, it's not like we're trying to save, like, do I need to save you? But in the sense of wanting them to be successful, both in school and beyond, um, and not always understanding at that time that I might not see that success right now. You mm -hmm. know, I might not see what's going to happen to you two or three or five years down the road. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to find yourselves. And sometimes it's just the class you're teaching is just not what they're into, you know? Um, but I, I, I always valued her. She was always so patient and so kind to everybody. Mm. Um, I, I agree. She was a saint. Yeah. She was, um, I was just thinking when Stephanie was talking, she's a really good example of the early memories I have around self-care and around mm. it's important for you to take care of your students, but it's also important for you to take care of yourself. And I remember my first year, I was way, I was not in the local vicinity of classroom i was out in the outbuilding right and mm. and that that classroom was so dingy and was so gray and was so <laughs> ugly that i think terry just recognized this is not going to feed sharon's spirit <laughs> so, and so despite the fact that we should have gotten permission to go and paint the classroom and to do some things that's what we did and i'm like are we gonna get in trouble for this and she goes don't worry about it oh. let's just do let's just get this done so that you and your students feel good in this space and then i'll just worry about any repercussions that might come as a consequence mm -hmm. so you know this is making me think i i've long wondered what it was about san lorenzo high school and just the incredible specialness i don't know of another word of that time for us and I, I came in a few years after that. I don't know. When did you all start teaching? Uh, 89, 90 was my first year. And mine was 90, 91. Oh, and that was my senior year in high school. That's so funny. And then I came in in 95. And, and I remember, um, I just remember people saying to me, it's not like this everywhere. You know, you don't know how lucky you have it. It's not like this everywhere. And I think, Sharon, you just nailed it for me. It's this notion of having the school moms. I mean, I had Pam Wilson, she was, and Judy, and dads, yes, yes. And, and even the, the old guys in the social studies department, who I had no intention of following pedagogically, they still, I knew that I could go to them if I needed any one thing. And I don't know, it's just this notion of having elders. I wonder if 
if some of our newer teachers are languishing because they don't have the elders in the way that we had. I will also say that having been at San Lorenzo then and then going back to it later on, yes, 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 the yes. biggest issue I see um, for some departments is that there aren't any elders or there's just one or two trying to prop up you know, the rest of the department, many of whom are new, or in many cases, you start the year with a long-term sub because there aren't people in those positions. And unfortunately, I think that becomes a, um, you know, a self-perpetuating cycle. And I, I've seen it over the past six or seven years there where, you know, there's people doing heroic things to try and mentor new people and to lead them pedagogically and all of that. And yet they start all over again the next year or the year after that and the year after that. And it just wears you down. It just wears you down. And I would think that's probably true. And you guys have, you know, the perspective of working with teachers from a lot of different schools. Um, I don't know if that's true elsewhere, but I would think, yeah. I think it is. I think it is. A lot of the teachers that Sharon and I worked with, they were the veterans if they'd been there three years. And I just think about myself, like I was just starting to not cry every day my third, in my third right? year. Right. 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 <laughs> Here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know. That's the first thing when you're first teaching. Right. And then the right. other thing I, I think about is that, you know, some of the teachers, when they come in, they are babies. And so they're like 24 years old. Their brains aren't even fully yes. developed in some yes. ways. And you're asking them to, <laughs> you know, teach 180 kids every day. Um, I just think yeah. it's hard. And I, I think the other thing, you know, aside from us having these classroom moms and dads, um, one of the things I most appreciated about San Lorenzo was that the relationships that were developed. So, you know, even at the end of my um, student teaching year and <laughs> and Dale was my master teacher, I would be in front and he would be behind me in his desk. And there would be days where kids would ask me a question or he could see something about to go left and I would get this little note <laughs> that would just come in and say, and say Sharon, <laughs> this is what you need to do or this is what you need to say. And I would, he would be so slick about it and I would just casually look down and you know, follow his directions. But I think that's because, you know, we had established relationships where, you know, I could go in and, and just be really honest and authentic about how crappy that day had been. And they would be really honest and mm-hmm. authentic about, yeah, it was pretty crappy, but, you know, but here's, um, <laughs> but here's, you know, here's what you did or here's what you need to think about moving forward. And I think there's something to be said for having some institutional history or memory because you know that serves mm. us well when we have when when memory gets transferred or goes down from one generation to the next is always something that you can use as an anchor and hold on to and so when that's missing it's just hard to recreate that or to establish that or to start that every year or every couple of years and so you just brought up something for me, Sharon, about yeah. when you said that about, you know, he'd pass you little notes where he'd say, yeah, that day was really whatever, but here's what we can do moving forward. And I think that, you know, you, you, you hear that, oh, don't talk to the people who are complainers, you know, blah, 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 which if they're just complaining, yeah, you know, those people are just being negative. But 
what I also liked about the people we worked with is it was about it was about moving forward. It was about like, how are we going to make this better? How are we going to make this work? Um, which is obviously essential to any job. But I think particularly in teaching when, you know, and you know this better than I from your mentoring experiences, that it's so overwhelming your first year or two. Um, we don't set people up for success in a lot of ways. For real, for real, for real. So let's let's jump in because um, the whole theme of the season is mentoring. And I, I want to take a step back and then we're going to come back to this, this spot. We'll put a pin right here. I, I want you um, each to share, because I think it's so interesting how our experience in school informs why we became a teacher and then how we teach. I wonder if each of you could just take a couple of minutes and give us a little bit of backstory um, about your growing up and your experience in school and how that did or didn't inform the way that you teach. Sharon, let's start with you. Hmm. Um, well, the first part of my schooling was in Denver, Colorado. So I was born in Denver. And then my parents, my dad moved out earlier. But my um, our move to California happened when I was in um, the second grade. And I am a private uh, Catholic school girl, <laughs> first grade through 12th grade. Mm-hmm. But, um, but when we moved to California, <laughs> we originally landed in Oakland. So I went to a um, a Catholic school, St. Columba, in Oakland, where um, <laughs> where I experienced my um, first black teacher, Miss Mathis, in third grade, and the, and I had a wonderful fourth grade teacher as well. Um, I would say that you know, in both those cases, in terms of like you know, mentoring. Whether that be good or bad, Mrs. Mathis lived in the same apartment complex as, as we did. And so I knew I couldn't get away with anything because mm. my parents would know. Um, and then on the on the other mm-hmm. hand, with the, my fourth grade teacher, Sister Mary Florence, um, you know, I just remember <laughs> really being seen as a student in class. I mean, she took time out during lunchtime to, like, draw all of, our, all of us, and we put them up on the wall. And I felt that very much... The classroom was our classroom, not just her classroom. And then from fifth grade through eighth grade, I was um, in St. Joseph the Workman in Berkeley. And once again, with really diverse students um, and, you know, none st- still. Um, but I think that in sixth grade, I came into my own <laughs> because I had this wonderful teacher where it's just like, we're going to try it. We're going to see, you know, that was the first year I read To Kill a Mockingbird, which I was like, you know, it was an amazing class. And I came into my own in a lot of ways. Um, by the time I got to high school, we had moved <laughs> to Hayward. And so now I was one of uh, five black students in 1500 at Moreau Catholic. And that brought its own set of circumstances, both in terms of stereotypes, in in terms of, you know, can she handle college prep classes, you know, expectations Mm -hmm. on teachers. And there I learned um, the importance of teachers who really take the time to see you. And, and and to demonstrate that they see you. And I also got the importance, um, and kind of like I could say the devastation of teachers who can't get past the stereotype. And so they say things that, you know, to a, a high school kid can be very impactful. And so just having to work your way through that and having, you know, my parents be my anchor was really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I learned a lot about 
what it's like to <clears throat> to uh, to be a student in diverse classrooms and in very segregated classrooms where you're just the only one and what that means. Um, and then I think mm -hmm. in college, it was just mm -hmm. a, a mixed bag. There were lots of um, professors that I really loved and learned from. I think, um, I think there were, you know, professors who once again anticipated how hard it was going to be to be, you know, um, in a STEM field and be one of uh, very few and some there to support you and some not so much. Um, in terms of how this uh, impacted my teaching, I think at that particular time, I don't think I was really thinking about teaching, but I do think that when I decided mm -hmm. that teaching was for me, I had a really good sense of, of what that looks like for kids who are marginalized or for kids who need to struggle and the importance of um, what being seen and, and being you know, encouraged uh, means and the importance of, of words. Words matter to a child, whether they be seven years old mm -hmm. or whether they be 21 years old. And so. Stephanie, what about you? Well, um, I grew up in upstate New York and I went to uh, schools that were not very diverse um, from, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade in a, a Wealthy is a, you know, it's a relative term, but I'll say middle to upper middle class um, suburb um, had good schooling, great teachers, um, although a couple of them, as I was thinking through what Sharon had to say, a couple of them, I think, were kind of unhappy people and they were not super friendly. Um, and I, re I still remember my second grade teacher, you know, scolding me for getting a seven out of 10 on a spelling quiz. You know, it's like, and she was upset with me about that. And I, I really kind of internalized that like, oh, I have to do well. That's an important thing to make teachers like me, you know. Um, and then my parents divorced mm -hmm. and we moved and I went to another suburban school that was, you know, probably I would say working to middle class. Um, and suburban slash rural um there were definitely kids in my mm -hmm. school who you know they had they were dairy farmers um they came from that background at home um kids that i knew who were you know hunting and trappers and things like that um and not what i would call a super academic high school meaning that a lot of students did not go on to um college university afterwards had absolutely no um, encouragement one way or the other really about college. It was just something I knew I wanted to do. And at the time, um, I was very interested in being a marine biologist. So when I went to college, it was specifically for that. And really, one of my great educational experiences was spending a semester in St. Croix as part of that program there. Um, it was great teaching and learning because you spent the mornings doing the academic piece in a classroom and literally every afternoon you were doing something applied, be it a lab or out in the field doing dives, doing, you know, marine ecology, marine biology, things that were specific related to what you were learning in the classroom. And it was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous, fabulous learning. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd never had that experience, you know, through my schooling before that. Um, and after that, mm -hmm, it was kind of, mm -hmm. you know, I did a master's in geology, um, and then I worked in a couple of different labs, and I was really thinking about a PhD in, um, in paleontology. And at some point, I went to travel a little bit, and as sort of as soon as I was out of the academic realm, it was like, yeah, that's not for me. 
that is not what I want. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I moved to California to visit my sister because I had nothing better to do and got a job, you know, at Stanford <laughs> Hospital and, and really started thinking about what's next. And so for me, I became a teacher because I knew I liked to travel and I thought, well, I can always get a job being a teacher somewhere if I get my teaching credential. And lo and behold, my first job was at San Lorenzo, and I was totally sucked in, you know, just so 32 years in that district, mm. right? Um, and I, I can remember this one kid that I taught maybe four or five years ago, a wonderful guy named Terry, and he's like, Miss Smith, how'd you know you wanted to be a teacher? And so I gave him kind of an abbreviated version of that, and I just said, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're meant to do until you start doing it, yeah. you know? Um and I, I do feel like, especially for younger people, it's it's kind of really important to know that, that you don't need to know right away. You can just do whatever is working for you right now and explore. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's my story. Yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting, you both came in as grownups, right? I mean, I started teaching, I was 21 years old. What My kids were 16. I like, there, there was really, I don't know what Jerry Glenn was thinking. Um, but, but, but you were both grownups and, and it's, it's almost, um, I don't know. I think it's so, it's such a beautiful thing when you can come in as a second career and really fall in love with the work because now I'm, I'm looking at you both recently retired, having served 30 years in education when maybe that wasn't the, the first plan, you know, that's really amazing. So let's talk for a second about our kids. And, and you know, we, uh, we all shared a lot of kids those years we were together and could tell some funny stories among us, I'm sure. Um, but I, I think all three of us believe that sometimes the hardest kids are, are really our most important teachers. And so I'm wondering, um, what, was there a particular student or maybe uh, just a particular thing that you've learned over the years that felt really important for you to learn uh, as a teacher. Stephanie, any thoughts? Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go back to what Sharon had said about you know, first of all, don't stereotype your kids. Um, mm-hmm. They're all different, and they all have interests and desires, and those things may not be immediately apparent to you um, in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a subject that they have no interest in. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a very different student in some other classroom or in some other place and time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking of this one kid I taught in middle school and we did okay together. He liked science, which I was teaching at the time, but I went to an IEP um, and he was a, a kid who had a behavior support plan and, you know, an advocate, you know, as we, we went into the meeting and uh, the principal and the advocate and the mom, they all put their cell phones down to record the meeting. You know, it was like a serious oh, thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, anyway, his grandmother also came. This kid's grandmother also came to the meeting. And she shared that on weekends, he would often go and visit her and his grandfather in Half Moon Bay and go tide pooling because oh, wow. he loved marine biology. And that's what he saw himself being. And I got to tell you, this is a kid that everybody knew the name, you know, whether you taught him or not. Um, and I, I looked at him and I just thought, that is so awesome. You know, that is so awesome that that's who you are and that's, that's your desire. And you couldn't tell that, you know, by his daily behavior at school at all. 
but this mm-hmm. is a kid doing something you know super positive to serve his dream and i think as teachers it's like the more you can know them mm-hmm. go to their games have those mm-hmm. conversations um and it, i think personally it comes up easier in some classes like language arts where you're writing an essay or this or that science and math maybe not so much but um it's really important mm. Sharon, what about you? What's that, what's something your uh, a student or your students in general have taught you? Um, this one student in particular, I think, and I I always share this as one of one of my biggest lessons. Um, you know, I started the school with a colleague of ours, and I just remember we started the school. We began the day with morning circle. And that was the day for us to get centered. And, you know, we're thinking, okay, you know, this is a good thing that we're doing for the kids. But even in the moment with the best intentions of starting Morning Circle, it's like bell would ring. Everybody needs to be in the circle because we're going to start Morning Circle. And mm-hmm. so one particular day, the student said, you know, that is so basically that is so fake and phony. And we're like, wait, what? He said, because, you know, the first thing you do is like, it's 8 o'clock. If someone's late, we got to start morning circle. What does that really mean? You didn't ask me how my day has started. And so he basically took a sheet of paper that was completely, you know, straight and everything and he goes look you know at this particular time seven o'clock in the morning you know I'm running a little late my mom's running a little late and then he crinkles up some paper and then because we're running late then I don't get the breakfast time that I need and whatever then he crinkles up a piece of paper and so he sort of basically you know shared with us the start of his day from seven o'clock until morning circle And by the time he got done with that piece of paper, it was fairly wrinkled. And it struck me like, you know, he is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Because we're so busy sometimes, you know, with the best of intention to start our day. And to think that, you know, we're checking in with students by saying, hi, how are you? But are we really? Mm -hmm. And so it just, you know, gave me a moment to pause and to, to really think about as these students are coming in and or as these teachers are coming in, what has their day been since the time they woke up to the time they got to school? And for me to really be mindful, to take some time to remember that so that I'm I'm not always so much in a hurry to get the next period started or to get the next day started because I don't know what that looks like even from class to class or period to period. So that, mm. that has been one of my biggest lessons from a student. Mm-hmm. That's like a life-changing lesson, right? It is. And two, I think about Stephanie, what you said. I remember a moment I had, I don't know, maybe in my second or third year teaching, thinking to myself, all these kids are individual human beings. Like, and it just, it just had this moment like, oh my God, they're all having conversations in their own head. They're all coming to me with different experiences during the, they're all like me. And I thought to myself, why am I just realizing this? I'm 22 years old. <laughs> yeah at least for me I'm, I was always about we have to learn these things if we don't learn these things you may not be successful and I want you to all be successful and mm-hmm. you know that curricular pressure and don't even get me started on testing let's just stay away from that but yeah you yeah, know yeah. it was it was always something I had to continually remind myself of um, and I sometimes even would surprise myself, you know, the last few years, actually it was like two years ago before we went on, you know, COVID, whatever, 
And this fifth period class I had that was kind of a little rowdy and crazy, you know, all these 504s, you know, for mm-hmm. ADHD, you know, you, sometimes I swear it's like, it seems like they get concentrated, right? Mm-hmm. And they were trying really hard to learn something and they were just really kind of antsy and whatever. And we were getting five minutes to the end. And I just looked at them and I said, you really can't do your homework tonight, can you? And they're like, no, we don't know how to do this. We don't get it. Etc. I'm like, okay, you don't have to do it, you know, mm-hmm. and just learning to let go of that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So on this on this note of being taken care of, I think about uh, our friends, the elder mobs, right? And we'll go back to where we put our pin in this notion of being taken care of as young teachers by those who came before us and and the importance of people with institutional knowledge, with life knowledge, with teaching experience to to be a part of our circle. Um, we had this extraordinary gift to be a part of this group of 10 women. There were five elders and five juniors. You all were kind of in the middle uh, um, age-wise, but I think teaching experience-wise, you were more in the in the juniors. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And so we got to go to Yosemite every year, at least once, if not twice, for 20 years. And I'm wondering if you all, like, can we just speak to the importance of, of having those elders in our lives professionally and personally? And then, um, and then at some point, I also want to hear how you took what they taught us and passed that on to those who came after us. Um, so let's just, let's just have a chat about the mobs. Um, where do we begin? How can we even start this? You know, for me, trust would be the word I come up with. Just Mm -hmm. a group that I really trusted, um, to share things that made me very vulnerable, um, Mm -hmm. and to listen to what they had to say. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so trust is a big word. And that was earned how for you? By the respect we showed each other, I think when we were sharing, that we would would listen and empathize. And at the same time, in Cheryl's words, you know, you got to put your big girl panties on, right? And figure it out, right? (laughs) So it wasn't like, oh, we're all, oh, it was never, oh, poor me, you know? No. It was always, here's what's going on, and how are we going to make this better? Maybe we can't Mm -hmm. fix it, right? But how do we... How do we move forward here? And to set the scene, there's this big round coffee table in front of the fireplace. And after so many years, we would all get there. We'd go to the same beds that we'd been in every time, uh, drop our stuff, come back upstairs to this place around the fireplace where there was this really large sectional. And we'd all sit in our same spots. Cheryl would take the chair, right? (laughs) And, and we'd all sit in our same spots and we'd start drinking wine and it always, always, always revolved around our kids, our colleagues. Um, and then, you know, inevitably, inevitably somebody would have a personal issue that we also spent the weekend unpacking. Um, but this idea of you were allowed some time to lament and then it was like problem solving. Right. And, uh, and I, yeah, I can see 
if you, if they didn't earn your trust by listening first, you would have never been vulnerable with them. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon, what do you think? Um, aside from trust, which Stephanie mentioned, to me, the other piece, they were like guideposts. Mm. And so, you know, um, <laughs> because they were older and because we were so open with each other, mm-hmm. things that were happening to them personally, in terms of health, in terms of, you know, their relationships in some ways, mm-hmm. um, they would speak on. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it was like really great because when I would encounter like, you know, menopause or <laughs> whatever yeah. that might be, because yeah. they had spoken about it, yeah. I had a clue. It, mm-hmm. And so, and so it was the wisdom that they, they were willing to share with us that I really appreciated just as much because otherwise, you know, you could get that, you can get that from a book or you can get that from, you know, TV, but you don't get with it. Like the personal, here's how I felt about it, or here's what, what the real 411 is about that. And, and to have that come from people who are going through similar, going through similar things at different times, even at different ages for them, because their Mm -hmm. context is different. Mm -hmm. It just made for this, it just made for, I don't know, an understanding and a wisdom that I really very much appreciate it. Stephanie, do you have something to add? I can see your wheels turning. Uh, you know, no, I just, I agree with everything Sharon said. And I just, I, I will just give a shout out to Pam for organizing that yeah. for 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just to have somebody like that in your life who is willing to make sure that that happens repeatedly over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. It was huge. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing that I will share because it wasn't it wasn't an aha and and yet much more um i remember i was traveling with a group of of teachers out of the country um and we were sharing our experiences you know some of our experiences um in terms of meeting other folks and i shared what we had here with um the mobs mm-hmm. and for me to uh kind of like physically describe what that was and to see the looks on others' faces as to, you have that? How Mm. do you get that? I wish Mm. I had that. It was, it made me realize just how important a piece it was for me and just how important a piece it was to have because Mm. other folks don't have that in the same kind of way that we had it. And so it's that much more special. Mm -hmm. And I... I totally agree with that. And I also like, it makes me sad because I think there are departments at my old school who still have that going on, who are very Mm -hmm. strong departments and they have that continuity and they, they really look out for each other. And I think in the new, some departments, it's not that easy. Um, And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really tough if you walk in as a newbie and as best intentioned as you can be to help that person. If if you don't have community, um, sort of a holistic community to talk to, it just becomes really easy to say, this is hard work and I'm not going to do that here anymore. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. This It's interesting you said holistic community because it really was, we talked a ton about teaching, but we also talked a ton about life. You know, two of those women 
lost their husbands. Three of those women lost their husbands in, during our 20 years together. Uh, you had cancer, Stephanie. I, I mean, I had my own marital troubles. Sharon and Toby opened a, opened a school and then 10 years later closed a school. Um, it wasn't just about teaching practice, right? It really was about the relationship and what started as about teaching practice really grew into something so much more. I, I wonder how... How, when you think about that, and then you think about those who are coming after us, those that we've taken on um, as mentees or, or any anybody really, how, how can you? What do you do to go about developing that? So Sharon, you've been you've mentored quite a few folks since those days. How, what do you bring from our experience with the mobs into those mentoring relationships? I think the importance of. Um of like being there mm -hmm. and the importance of, of being like honest. And I, I think also, you know, and just commitment because the mentees that I have, they know that I got them and they know mm -hmm. that, you know, they can talk about whatever and it's on them in terms of, you know, how often they want to meet or how they want to meet. And I think that I also bring to it the importance of, you know, it's great to talk shop, but it's also just as important for us to talk about things outside of that. So just as, you know, we were able to talk about personal things as much as we were willing to share. And that's the other thing I, I also want to say about our particular group. It's like you had ownership in terms of how much you wanted to share and what you wanted to share. It wasn't like everybody has to put everything out there on the table. It's mm -hmm. like what you are most comfortable with um, works for us. And so and so all of those, those things and lessons I tried to share with my mentees as well. I think mm -hmm. the other thing um, that I appreciated about our community is that as much as I was, as much as we were learning from the mobs, um, it was reciprocated. I think that as we shared what was happening with us, they were learning from us as well. So I felt it was very much a, a two-way conversation. Um, and that, you know, sometimes you go in thinking that it's just one way that, you know, we're learning from our elders. But I have learned just as much, if not more, um, in some ways from the, the young women and men that I mentor as... Um, as anything else and so sometimes I, I have to remind them that they're mentoring as much mentoring me as much as um I'm mentoring them totally I, I one of my biggest things I learned from them is maintaining my sense of curiosity and my desire to get better because I felt like I mean I remember sitting at that dining room table and have I was teaching Pam how I used a rubric that was different than the way that she did and I swear, I felt like, oh my God, this woman's my mentor and I'm teaching her something. It just was so, it made me feel good as a young person. And it made her feel good as, as, uh, as someone who was still learning. Stephanie, do you have a, an experience with an elder or, uh, or someone junior to you that, that stands out as far as mentoring goes? You know, I was reflecting when Sharon was talking there about, you know, learning from the people, her mentees. And for me, I spent the last three years teaching math, um, which is something I felt good about teaching in middle school, but I'd never taught in high school before. Um, 
and also learning how to teach on Zoom. And, mm. um, you know, so the learning curve for me in both of those had has was steep. And I was really lucky that a couple of, you know, well, not just a couple, but my my team that I worked with, they were so supportive. You know, I would ask questions. Well, what about this? How come they're learning that? You know, why are they doing it this way? How come we're teaching that? Whatever. Every time, you know, I would get an explanation, you know, whatever. And then, of course, the tech stuff. I'm not a tech person. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to um, to do that. I will say this. One of the things that the math department has done for many years at, at San Lorenzo, and they still do, um, is whatever team you're on, whatever class you're teaching, they have a weekly meeting, you know, outside of school time on their own. It's not paid work or anything, but it is a place to do collaboration and to talk. And Mm -hmm. I remember there was a time, well, first of all, that that helped me and I think them in in many different ways. And it is a way of building a community, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that I think is important, especially for, for newer people. And then I also remember, especially as we started teaching a year ago from home and just how exhausting that work was, um, Mm -hmm. that we spent a large part of one meeting just talking to each other about our our health and our health issues and what was going on. And it was hard. I mean, a few of us were crying and Mm -hmm. and um, it was it was a tough, tough conversation. But I think in the end, we all felt like, okay, this is a safe place where I can just kind of let this out. And these people understand because they're going through the same kind of things I am. So it can happen, um, you know, maybe not for 20 years with the same group, but Mm -hmm. you can build that. I mean, one of the, um, a lot of the, the comments that I had from some teachers that I was supporting, um, is that, I have a it, I would have a really bad day or I have a really bad week and I would be really tired and I part of me would say I don't really want to go and have this meeting mm-hmm. but <laughs> but I know that I'm going to get so much out of it because I'm either going to meet with you know, me personally one on one or with a group of individuals and that was like sustenance for them so no matter how hard the day was and no matter how tired they were they actually looked forward to that little hour or hour and a half where you know they got something they got fed yeah yeah so. there's a nourishment I think yeah so the things I'm hearing you both talk about just this notion of uh, willingness to be vulnerable right the courage to be vulnerable uh, and real and to remember one another's humanity and to um, to nourish one another intellectually and emotionally these are all such important things and you're right Stephanie not everybody can have 20 years of going to a beautiful cabin in Yosemite right? But we can have a weekly conversation where we just check in on one another as human beings and then talk a little bit about teaching practice, right? Well, and I don't know if you were part of this, but I, I do remember Terry Shimchak and Judy Rosenberg having, you know, like, and they didn't do it every week, but it was maybe once a month, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hey, let's have lunch together kind of thing. Um, it was just blah, blah, blah. And it was a way of taking care of people. Terry always cooked beautiful snacks. and and we could just and that's the thing I think you said Sharon like I'm so tired do I really want to go down the hall for lunch but you knew you were going to get this cookie and you knew you were going to get a hug from this wonderfully warm woman so okay fine I'll go (laughs) 
and then you end up getting fed in all sorts of ways. Um, all right. So I have two, uh, three more questions. Um, that, that we're going to ask at the end of every episode, no matter what the focus is for the season. First of all, what's your hype song when you need a good day at school? Do you have a song that you would play to help yourself have a good day? Well, I mean, the song that I have a couple, but my go-to song that, you know, will sometimes come on the radio when uh, I need a little lift or whatever, like, you know, a little connection and reminder is um, Ain't No Stopping This Now. Mm -hmm. So that Mm -hmm. is my... That is my all-time go-to song. I love that song. Stephanie, do you have one? Um, I can remember one year downloading uh, Barack Obama's playlist. You know, he Mm. puts out these Spotify playlists, and I just kind of went through it, picked the songs I wanted, and I just cranked that, you know, as high as I could after school while I was way out in S-Wing, kind of prepping for the next day. And it was just, that was what kept me going a lot of the time. Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, so we know that we've been around this work long enough that there's not a single answer or a silver bullet or a, you know, this is what we need to do and we do it and everything's solved, right? Um, We each have a very unique gift that we bring to our work as educators. And I think the idea being, and I, I don't remember which one of the mobs told me this, but she said, you don't have to be everything to every kid because the kid's got six teachers in a day. You need to be the piece for the kid who needs you and trust that the others will put their pieces down. And then at the end of the day, the child will have a full puzzle. And I wonder about this when I think about what, what your unique offering was to the, to the field of education, to your students, to colleagues. What do you look back and you say, you know what, this was my piece. This was the thing that I did well. Just, you know, I had my kids always fill out some kind of a um, reflection at the end of the year. And the last few years, I did it on a program called Desmos. Um, And I actually saved this past year, like, you know, anything you want to tell me, you know, whatever. And almost to a person, the kids were like, this, you were the best math teacher I ever had, you know. And I don't say this because I think I was the best Mm -hmm. math teacher ever. I think I was a good teacher. I don't think I was a great teacher. Mm -hmm. But I think what I did well for kids is I got them through their freshman year of math where it was the first time that they had a class where, oh, yes, you need to pass this class. And a lot of them coming in with academic deficits because Mm -hmm. of the turnover in teaching and the lack of middle school teachers in our district. Mm -hmm. And they were able to get through a program where, I don't know, I'm just, I'm well prepared and I know where I want to go. I'll just say that. So that was maybe what they got from me. Mm. My God. Algebra is such a gatekeeper, right? Such a gatekeeper. And and they don't know it coming in. You Mm -hmm. have to, and they don't, and a lot of them come in thinking, I don't, whatever, I flunked every class in eighth grade and I'm still here. So why, you know, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. Sharon, what do you think for you? Um, hmm. I think, I think mine is really around creating a safe space for students where they can create visions for themselves and where out of out of the box thinking is um, 
I must just say in some ways kind of required. Mm. It's not, not just allowed, but it's, it's like, you know, I want you guys to think big and I want you to think out of the box and I'm going to create a space to let that happen so that we can kind of see, you know, what our gifts are as a classroom of these folks. What, what is it that we all bring to the classroom and how can we use that in service of each other? Mm, I love that. All right, so this was very likely uh, something that happened on the regular with the three of us, but let's go back in time and imagine we're in the copy room in A Hall, and I'm cutting strips of paper, and you're punching holes, and Sharon's at the copy machine. What should what What do you want to send me off if I said to you as I was cutting my strips of paper that I was really struggling? Um, what what would you send me off with to make my day a little lighter or a little easier? It can be serious or funny or whatever you want. What what would you send me off with? What's your quick tip? And to me, it would be like, you got this, you know, you can do it. Some words of encouragement. Um, and just every day is a new day. Whatever happened yeah. yesterday, every day is a new day. Yes. Yes. That, that's really good advice. Yes. Sharon, what do you think? Um, I think that I would just, uh, tell them that when they get to their classroom to take a minute, mm -hmm. just take mm -hmm. a minute to just reflect on, you know, who's coming in and what it might've been like out there, um, mm -hmm. and where you are and how you're going to be present. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, to, to say everybody needs to just take a deep breath mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. let it out mm -hmm. and then let's go. Yeah. And with that, I say thank you to you both. You've been um, an extraordinary example for me of what this, this profession is. And I'm so um, grateful to you both for your love and for your Can I, can I say one pushing. more thing? Yes. Um, I just, I want to just thank Sharon. I really do. From the bottom of my heart, I, she was such an important part of my life, particularly for those first 10 years, um, to have a partner the way we had each other as partners is just such a gift. And so I don't think I've ever thanked you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you too, Stephanie. That, that means a lot. And the same, it's like, there are days where it's like, I don't know if I can get a hold of Stephanie. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and, you know, especially when she went to the middle school, because mm -hmm. then I didn't have my partner anymore. Um, and it took a minute for me to, to like, yeah, put my head around that. And so the same. And then, Nicole, I just would like to thank you, too, because we've seen you since, Babies. you know, from the very beginning. And, um, and all of the things that you've done, um, professionally and personally and with this podcast once again this is another opportunity for Stephanie and I to to like learn from our mentor in terms of technology and what you can do and what you're thinking of and, and envisioning for yourself um, I'd just like to say thank you and to honor that as well thank you for sharing your precious time with us my hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. 
We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include Copy Room Conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.